I can imagine how that would be the most frightening thing that could happen to you in the middle of a zombie apocalypse when it's all quiet yeah. and suddenly there's a knock on the door. Basically, a noise is being made close to you, which isn't you. And yes. that's the most frightening thing. What's going on out there sounds proper fucked up. So somebody, not me, should go out and have a look. Because <laughs> somebody, not me, really needs to bring back some information to everybody, including me. She yes. has what she thinks are the best kangaroo steak she's ever eaten. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not kangaroo steaks, Dave. Hello and welcome to part three of Shark Live Royals coverage of Zombie Apocalypse by Stephen Jones. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. And here we go, Dave. It's it's the third part of the coverage. So this is going to take us from, um, if, you, if you're reading along with us, basically what happens is you read a portion of the book every week and then at the end of the week we do a podcast on what you've just read. This week we have been reading from I mean, it's quite hard to say. We don't have chapters or page numbers in this book. So we're reading from the end of the entry from this blogger called uh, Zombie King as far as the end of a chapter which we'll come to, which is a a helicopter pilot from Australia um, and her sort of transcript and her account of of her experience in the zombie apocalypse. So shall uh, shall we dive straight in? Let's dive straight into a zombie apocalypse. Mm, head first. That sounds like a good way to spend a day. Yeah, it shouldn't be head first, should it? It should be sort of Shotgun carefully. First, shot, yeah, or, or like carefully covered arms first, so that you can't get bitten. <laughs> I think once you've decided to dive into the zombie apocalypse, you've accepted that you're going to become a zombie, haven't you? Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, yeah that's unless just I would. Well, what do you think would be the best thing to wear? I was thinking you could wear... You'd look a bit stupid, but you could wear a wetsuit. That's true. <laughs> Cause it's not cause easy you... to bite through a wetsuit, is yeah, it? Yeah. You couldn't gnaw your way through it unless you unless you grew f- proper, like, fangs or something. Oh, that's or, very true. I mean, you'd be protected from basic scratches and stuff quite easily. They get quite <laughs> hot in there. And you look a bit... Obviously, I wouldn't advise wearing the flippers because you wouldn't be able to get away very easily. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. That's the, that's the image I've got, is somebody going, yeah, wetsuit, great idea. And the flippers, why not? <laughs> that's not <laughs> Just cool. doing this, like, <laughs> penguin waddle away. <laughs> that'd, be a really, that'd be a brilliant zombie to see as well, this guy in flippers and a wetsuit, shambling <laughs> along. Brains! <laughs> Brains! That's... that's the, <laughs> that's the danger because if you did get bitten then you then as you died you would know that you were going to become sort of the laughing stock of the zombie world <laughs> i just if i die can i not please be a cool zombie i mean just please no oh god i'm wetsuit man for eternity <laughs> let's get into it then the um the first part that we're going to look at today is actually my favorite part of the whole book mm-hmm. um and it's this it's this old lady who's been uh who's trapped at the top of her tower block in london mm. and she's writing these letters and they're on um actual you know on a typewriter and it's typewriter faced uh text mm. uh these letters to someone called laura she's called ruth classic old lady name and um <laughs> and at first uh, these letters uh there's a sadness to them but it's kind of the the sadness that you get in, um, I suppose, the sort of almost sweet sadness you get in old age, just sort of all reminiscences and um, 
you know, I thought the, the the writing here is excellent. You really you connected straight away, even before the zombie stuff happens. Just the nostalgia, and it's quite beautifully written. Yeah. Um, she talks about her husband Ken, uh, and we, in the first letter, we move slightly into the very beginnings of of the outbreak, where her husband Ken isn't happy with the digging that's going on at the site um, around the church, which is obviously where this all begins. Uh, and that, that's a sort of first impression. What was your first impression of, of it from, from this first letter? I was already in quite a zombie apocalypse kind of headspace, obviously, because we're, you know, I've had half a book of brains and dragon and, and just this thing from the zombie king. So I was kind of, I was braced for quite a lot of melancholy. Uh, and that, but that really worked for me, because like you say, you have got this kind of, this thing of reminiscing and do you remember his hair used to look like that and when we were together in France and all of that and 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 it very quickly sketches a whole world and then puts her 60 years after it I, I, it was really believable for me and and it just it, it it was only added to by the fact that there was this extra layer of this horrifying breakdown of of life and society and stuff and this quite kind of fearful old lady you know, who's kind of, you know, come to accept, uh, you know, a, a life that was somewhat disappointing, it sounds like, and, and mm. you know, kind of putting up with her husband's kind of bad-tempered foibles and, and kind of um, financial misfortune and stuff that's that's put her at the top of this tower block. And, and, and it was brilliant because it made the zombie stuff just like a lens that just made everything that much more melancholy and... But still with this tension. Yeah, um, the I also thought reading it um, as it, as this first bit, it's coming straight after the Zombie King account. Uh, mm. I know in, in the last cast um, we we had a, a bit of fun with the fact that he this old lady comes and begs for food, and he describes her the Zombie King blogger describes her as a ropey old slag, and um, <laughs> it's horrible, but also quite funny, and. Um, uh, and this was quite sobering because I thought it, it, it isn't the same woman, but it could be, you know. Mm. And um, and and it was just oh, yeah. moving from uh, sort of cartoony, uh, you know, knockabout, sort of childish, nasty name calling to, mm. um, you know, these are real people that are going through it. Yeah. Um, the next entry uh, is you get a bit of backstory to how how this couple the old lady lady and her husband ended up in the tower, how they used to own a bookshop and that went under um, and eventually they got moved into the top of this tower block and she obviously has quite a um, sunny disposition normally and she actually made the best of it and imagined she was this sort of princess at the top of the tower and said there's a, you get great views over London and her husband just sort of broke down um, because he just felt they were in the lowest point that could go, obviously his pride's on the floor and um and again it was just it it, it just felt like a real um really it felt realistic it felt yeah. like this that these could be two real people we find out a question which is probably in the back of most people's minds when you've read the first couple of letters how are these letters getting to anybody and they're not yeah. she's just writing them and leaving them in a box it's just something yeah. to, to to occupy herself well um, and this this isn't the first time they've done this either is it because the very first thing in the book is this guy writing a letter to his mum which mm. who as it turns out is dead even he's like you know i can't believe i'm writing letters to my dead mum mm. and and it was a, a a perfect note there and here of again really sad like kind of because letters imply human connection 
and actually mm. what this is about is people who've completely given up on human connection and are just doing going through the motions of it to keep themselves mm. sane she mentions the the battles outside the supermarket which she's seen from from her balcony and this sort of general breakdown in society so we we, mm. we we're slowly being moved towards the present in her recollections as well yeah. um though we still don't know what's happened to her husband yet yeah um what, what she, she's keeping the fridge on the balcony to keep things cool because obviously there's no power left anymore <laughs> makes yeah. sense doesn't it and on on one of her little journeys out there uh, oh no we've missed sorry let's go back to the the day before the after the account of the bookshop mm. halfway through her recollection um she sort of there's there's a bit of a jam on the typewriter as she jumps because there's a knock on the door yeah and i can imagine how that would be the most frightening thing that could happen to you in the middle of a zombie apocalypse when it's all quiet yeah and suddenly there's a knock on the door it's yeah. basically basically a noise is being made close to you which isn't you and that's yeah, and the like, most frightening thing <laughs> yeah and and um and I, again i thought that was a really nice way of playing with this whole formatting thing where people are writing letters or leaving whatever it is around the place kind of thing <laughs> the idea of like yeah. being the way the letter looks being a physical consequence of them going what the fuck was <laughs> you know and that like jump um yeah being visible on the page i really like that um yeah and uh yeah although i did think i would probably respond that way as well but if it is a zombie if you think oh no it's a zombie he's a very polite zombie mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> hello hello are you there <laughs> hello Brains? Terribly sorry, but uh, I'd like to. Yeah. <laughs> brains? Would Would you mind? <laughs> would you mind awfully? Uh, brains? I, I, uh, brains? Just, brains? No, you You see, I'm of the undead. You're, oh, oh no! Oh, sorry. Well, no, n- never mind. I'll. Oh. <laughs> Terribly inconvenient, but I've got a rather large hungering for brains. Uh. <laughs> and I notice you're not the dead. So, uh, would you mind? Ever, sorry, I've got a spoon. Um. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, yeah. So, so, so back to the uh, back to the little meeting on the balcony. The the young girl who actually knocks on her door, mm. she she does meet because um, she's the, the girl is on the balcony next to her when she goes out to get some some food from the fridge. And uh, it's this girl, G. She's pretty much the embodiment of optimism in this uh, in this section. This is not a million miles away from what many people experience in old age. You know, yeah. if they if they've no kids and and if uh, if their spouse passes away, then you know what do you do? Mm. Um, so this this <laughs> being alone in your house, um, thing and 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 quite kind of turned in on yourself and afraid and, and with a wealth of memory and life and experience behind you and there's just no all of the little kind of connecting links go away mm. for some yeah. people, you know. Um, so yeah. I, I used to work in a pub and, and, you know, a good chunk of the money that was taken in the pub was taken during the daytime. These kind of pensioners, particularly old, old fellas whose wives had passed away, who would just come just in order to be around other people. And it was incredibly, yeah, I mean, melancholy. And and I thought that was a, again, this, is, this really made it feel kind of humanly real to me, this section, mm. in a way which other sections weren't, didn't or weren't trying to do. Yeah. Um, so so and then this then this young person turns up and what you've got 
actually that's the reason I think this is one of the best bits in the book is that this young person turns up and what you've got here is a, a character dynamic that would work just as well if you took if you took away the zombie apocalypse like the way these characters yeah. are interacting is not dependent upon your plot setting yeah you're right because it's perfect because the there's the the mistrust at the start with the uh, with Ruth she she's frightened of of, of yeah. G and and then there's she she come G comes round she she's given her gifts and stuff and yeah you can imagine that kind of thing happening just 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 a a young girl just trying to befriend a, a frightened yeah. old lady in a, in a in a tower block and the essential kind of benignness and hope of G I think is really mm. beautiful so so at that point I'm for the f and for the first time for a long time in this book I'm invested in something other than who's going to die at the end of this section yeah. like. I, I, you know, I'm invested in this on a level of this woman is afraid and alone, and here is an item of human connection which seems to go, which seems to be just simple and open good-heartedness on the part of this young person who has no reason to be like, you know, there's no, there's no kind of um, relational upside in leaving mm. your safe place and going out and giving chocolate to the old lady upstairs or next door, but yeah. she does it out of it would seem just a sheer desire to be humanly pleasant yeah i think partly as well it's a it, it's for this connection with the old world and connection with society insofar as yeah. it's the kind of thing that when the zombie apocalypse isn't happening like we say you would do um yeah. it's perfectly not so it's it's something that g can do which is almost a bit of normality in this in this crazy situation that she's in now yeah. just go upstairs and and you know help out this, this old lady it's what people yeah. do yeah um yeah. they have this conversation and ruth tells tells g to to take care and yeah. g laughs and that kind of sums up the relationship on where these two characters are coming from yeah. um you get the feeling that yeah g's quite happy go lucky <laughs> as much yeah. as you can be in a zombie apocalypse um, it's, it's, again that's a beautiful thing about the character isn't it that one can yeah. be happy go lucky and believably so in a zombie yeah. apocalypse definitely really yeah incredibly well written yeah um the, the next letter uh ruth talks about how she was trying to get to sleep um the, the that night and mm. she could hear loud music from downstairs the kind of thing that would have wound her husband up and would have her, wound herself up but um before this had happened but she's just it's just comforting for her because she knows there are other people around and they they're doing normal things like playing music loudly although they are she's worried that it might draw some of the zombies over yeah um the next day, uh, yeah, uh, G throws some chocolate across onto the balcony um, yeah. for, uh, for, for Ruth to, to have, which is very yeah. nice of her. Oh, uh, because Ruth has turned this down as well previously. Like, yeah. That's, why, that's one of the things I really loved here is that Ruth, uh, at several points, talks to G as though, you know, you just don't understand how bad the world is. Mm. You know, like, I'm, I'm old, I have all this experience, and the conclusion that I've come to is that people can't be trusted and you should look after your food and everybody's going to die. And mm. G's response to that is not disrespectful, but it is completely dismissive of it. It's just like, no, I don't think I buy hopelessness. Actually, screw it. Like, yeah. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, you, you've turned down the food. I'm not going to take that as an insult or an affront. I'm just going to chuck it to you. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and of course, then she picks it up and eats it and, and he's, and, and he's warmed by it. And, and it's, and it's, yeah, it's, beautiful moment of connection where this positive presence in her life has overcome some of her fear mm. um yeah again cracking the next conversation they have on the windowsill 
this is a there's a nice illustration of what you've said there about the um, experience and the the message that Ruth is is, is trying to give out, but also is trying to catch it. She doesn't. She's in a bit of a bind, Ruth, because she wants to try and get across just how dangerous it is yeah. and um, and her, exp- her her experience. But at the same time, she doesn't want to destroy this this hope. But she she, she does she, she does love in G. Well, and, because um, it's her lifeline, isn't it? Yeah. You know, what I mean? yeah. she kind of wants to have an argument about hope and hopelessness in order to be talked out of her position. Yeah. Which I think yeah. is a position that, again, you know, you don't need a zombie apocalypse for that to be the case in many many mm. human interactions. And G uh, talks about how the the group, the, her group, is is keeping the radio on, uh, like a, a, I assume a shortwave radio or a CB radio, to, mm. to to track any um any chances of any broadcasts. Mm. And uh, Ruth asks about the um, what happens when your batteries run out, and then immediately, sort of in her own mind, uh, rebukes herself as a wicked old cow for asking such a question. Mm. But G yeah. just sort of bats it off as saying, "Oh, you yeah. know, by the time we've got enough batteries to last a year, and, and it'll be all sorted by then." Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, in this letter, we find out what happened to her husband as well. It turns mm-hmm. out. Uh, her husband and a guy called Roger from the from downstairs were scavenging supplies for the first few days of uh, of this, mm. and one day, you know, almost inevitably they they didn't come back, mm. or well, you know, Ken does eventually come back, but not as Ken. Mm. Um, and after a few days of them missing, um, she hears this thudding against the door. And it, it is her husband, who is now a zombie, who's returned to the flat. Yeah. Um, and she uh, shows remarkable resilience. And she, she goes to the to her hidden letterbox, gets the gets the pistol, and um, opens the door and shoots her husband in the head, or what used to be a husband in the head. And that is that, intense, eh? Yeah, it's intense, it, it, and it shows that inner strength of her as well. She's she is very fragile, but when something needs to be done, um, she she can do it. She's super um, grand. Oh, for a few days, uh, Ruth thinks that he doesn't hear anything from G, and she starts to worry. But um, but then G does turn up after a bit, and they have a chat again outside on the on the balcony. We get a, a sense of a bit of a passage of time here as well, where the, yeah. this this relationship's developing. Um, G mentions that one of the members of the group um, is actually pregnant, which Ruth yeah. sort of inwardly responds to with horror. Yeah. And uh, G also talks about how she's been very careful using contraception and things like that. And it's just yeah. it's so normal, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. and also. uh, G's been so practical as well and Ruth um, does find a lot to admire there. That's as good as it gets because the the next the next letter um, is yeah it's it's practically (laughs) mad isn't it? Enough enough of these uh, delicate character moments drawing you into a sense of investment in this world and these individuals. Yeah, shit's gonna get real. Yeah, so she th- th- this letter is is very short. It's just Laura, 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 Laura. La- Noel, stop this fantasy. There's no Laura. Laura's dead, or Laura's that dear nothing. Then dear abyss, dear hell on earth. Oh Christ! So you know immediately. Yeah. Um. This is you know something snapped, and yeah, yeah it turns out that that G G is now is now dead, and. Actually, the the final time G returns, she returns like Ken as a zombie. 
Yeah. But it's um, it's a, it's as a more I don't know. It's a different kind of zombie because there's an actual knock at the door, and this isn't yeah. sort of the zombie zombie Ken sort of banged yeah. against the door like she says. I think like an elephant. That's <laughs> just got it confused, and um, <laughs> you know, like constantly walking into a door. Whereas okay. this is a this is a hu- almost a human knock. Yeah. Like like where we said at the start, if you hear a knock, it's probably not a zombie, and you know. Okay, exactly. Um, but there is a knock, and she and she actually speaks to her. And says, Ooh. you know, let me in, don't be scared, mum. And then her voice slowly breaks down and she starts to be unable to form the words properly. Mm. This, this, was the, this was the most frightening part of the book for me. Yeah. Um, because of the, uh, the, the zombie actually speaking, to, yeah. speaking to, um, to Ruth. And when Ruth does the same thing again, opens the door with the gun ready to shoot her. Yeah. Um, there's this brilliantly described scene when the door swings open and there's this description of of G now as a zombie, yeah. uh, Giselle, and and that is that, that's one of the times where sometimes descriptions of zombies is a bit they're a bit gratuitous, isn't it? It's just gore yeah. for the sake of it. But yeah, this yeah. time I thought it was just completely uh, completely merited. Yeah. And um, and her, her last words, G. Um, Ruth says uh, says her name, but says called her G, and she says Giselle, that's my name. Yeah. And then tries to attack her, and yeah. Ruth Ruth kills her. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and um, jeez, this was creepy. <laughs> like, um, it, you know, it is this you can because you can hear it, you can hear it happening, and to have it told after the fact by this old lady, you know, who is has become increasingly aware of her lack of strength, mm. you know, and her lack of hope, which we see in the way she opens the opens the letter. And you're right, it's it's heartbreaking. This is one of something that starts to happen more often where zombies are different in character. Like, there doesn't seem to be... You get bitten and you, everybody turns into this same sort of presence. Uh, very, very simple. Obeys all the simple rules and, you know, which turns the world into a flood of a flood of beasts acting the same way. Like, mm-hmm. so we had earlier on... We, as we talked about this last time, didn't we? Like, I thought the Doctor last time was... Um, uh, was t- had turned into a zombie while he was writing his report, but was still writing mm. his report. He was still a doctor, yeah. and um, and I think this is another example of that where people kind of retain. Some people respond differently to the sickness and retain different bits of it in different ways. Her, uh, Ruth's final letter. Um, she has caught herself once before accidentally addressing a letter to G instead of yeah. instead of Laura. And this time she just openly does, and yeah. um, it turns out she's she was scratched by Giselle, <sighs> and and now she's turning into a zombie herself. And to mm. be honest, it's for the first time it was almost a relief to read this because yeah. she's the situation is so hopeless for Ruth yeah. that you kind of hope that maybe she'll find some kind of peace when she actually dies there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in the end, uh, her, uh, her hands sort of fail and she's struggling to write, and 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 yeah. that's the. That's the end of the of the passage, but yeah, so, so ends probably my you know that's certainly my favourite part of the of the book. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We move on to the the, the next part. There's a a brief there's a screenshot of the BBC website or the, or no the BMC website. Yeah. Um, and the lead is Diana, um, which at this point in the story is strange. You'd think that the journalism yeah, they're, they're calling would be all the way on. back to to an earlier bit of yeah I cheap tabloid I, reporting yeah i think it's just the editor of, of this of the book playing a bit fast and loose because we need to be reminded of 
of Diana um, in, yeah. in preparation for the next bit, which is this di- diary of Alison McCready, oh, um, yeah. who, who has been brought in to treat um, the prince. Who is, who is carefully never named. <laughs> yeah. Can you see the difference here? We've, they happily named uh, Diana because she can't <laughs> sue anybody. She can't sue anybody. Um, so they, th- this is an account of uh, the, the person, one of the people who are brought in to try and save the prince um, because he, it turns out he's been bitten and, mm. um, and actually his arm's been amputated mm. and now various people are, are frantically trying to find some way of saving him, yeah. including this sort of home- homeopathy bloke who <laughs> appears to be some trusted confidant of the, of the prince because he's, he's given a lot of You'd believe it though, wouldn't you? Yeah. You know, and <laughs> um, so I mean, there are some arguments between the the more conventional doctors and this homeopathy guy, yeah. uh, which ends ends in a split and the uh, and a more, you know, let's say unorthodox, uh, yeah, unorthodox <laughs> uh, member of the holistic community. Um, there we go. Decide uh, actually wins that struggle, but um. I, I, by the way, I, I would like to I would like to try and reclaim the use of the word holistic there because it means addressing the whole, and I think, in my opinion, with all respect to everybody's beliefs, homeopathy is in fact addressing the fictional, rather than yeah. you know the under-examined <laughs> bit of somebody that's not there but can be addressed by this sort of pseudo-scientific stuff. The actual account here is split between um, a dry medical report of how the the prince is progressing, and this journal of Alison McCready, who one of the people who's one of the people treating him. Yeah. Um, there's also a a special um, like a secret agent kind of guy called. She first refers to as Mister Blonde. I think he's called Rafe, um, yeah. and he is. It turns out as we move as we move on. Um, one of the more sane people still alive because he wants yeah. to he wants to find a way of getting out. As yeah. things go from bad to worse, a voodoo doctor turns up as well. So we get that was further I, and further I, I, the looking glass. Yeah, I, at that point, I felt the uh, the handbrake engage and the whole story <laughs> swerve off to the left. <laughs> <laughs> I I thought um, I thought it was a fairly natural progression though as as a, you know you'll try at this point you'll try anything to save this guy this is this yeah. is the example of can you save somebody from this from turning into a zombie when money and power and all those kind of things are no object you can get any, any help in the world can come to you now yeah. um can you do it and this is the lens oh, that they go through. Oh, that's interesting. You know, I didn't think of it that way. Mm. I just thought of it as <laughs> like cuckoo bananas. Because they're not trying to save him. <laughs> they're trying to turn him into a zombie that they can rule through. Did you notice, by the way, sort of really rather artlessly described? Because they've got a witch doctor, right? They want to draw on a whole witch doctor notion. Now, witch doctor as a word generally refers to practices of traditional spiritual beliefs from Africa. But they didn't yeah. want to seem racist. So they had a racist character artlessly state that the woman who's narrating this to us, Alison McCready, is black. Yeah. So, and I just thought that was like, fellas, like, was the witch doctor <laughs> angle really this important to you that you had to tie yourself in these kind of, like, you know, if you want to, I, I just thought that was really kind of artless. Um. So the in the end, uh, this arrival of the voodoo man is is enough to push uh, Rafe, the secret agent guy, over the 
edge insofar as his decision to mutiny effectively mm-hmm. and it, they come up with this plan the doctor and um and the agent to to escape and what happens is the doctor actually lets two zombies out um, yeah. of holding because they, they've got some zombies in captivity she lets a couple out to run amok uh, and cause confusion yeah. and in the confusion rafe escapes in a car with the prince tied up in the back and yeah. the doctor jumps in as well and they effectively kind of like a couple of grazed animal rights activists release the <laughs> prince into the wild and then go on their merry way and then there's this final scene of um the final account of Alison uh, McCready speaking to a gar- uh, the royal gardener who yeah. says that he's he's seen the prince wandering around as a zombie actually mm. leading a group of undead sort of away into, into <laughs> safety and and I, he is actually now a zombie prince but a zombie prince for zombies obviously <laughs> I wonder if he still expected them to give him you know to support him via tax and that what's the earning yeah. profile of uh, of zombies <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so, so the prince in death now becomes the leader, the zombie king, uh, yeah. the real zombie king, and the leads the nation. Yeah. yeah. Um. Also, also, we uh, uh, just the other thing I wanted to say about this part is at some point the prince is one of the prince, uh, the, the prince's son comes in, and um, and kisses his hand, which uh. everybody around takes for oh, um, Ooh, he must now serious. be the king. So, yeah. um, obviously, the the queen is is no longer. Yeah. Um, so that 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 may be important later on. Um, yeah, and I thought I thought well, I I don't know. Are we? Is this gonna like? Is the kind of third act of this book gonna turn out to be like the Zombie Wars of the Roses, like a civil <laughs> war between competing competing monarchies over the UK? <laughs> would be quite would be quite a book. It um, would. The, the there's a there's another BMC website grab, and this time um, the front page is is at the end and. Uh, and this is this seems like more, a more realistic uh, story to have at this point in the zombie apocalypse. Although it's a little little cliched, it's it's about how the uh, the religious communities are all going all doomsday and oh, is nigh. Was this the, this, this is the televangelist thing? We're about to hit that. That's that's <sighs> coming up. But um, but yeah, shall we shall we save our shall we save our discussion about that for the televangelist? Yeah, we will. Um, okay. okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> The the next bit, okay, it's it's part three of Maddie's diary, and um, we've been worried for a while that things aren't going to end well for Maddie. Who, uh, if we remember, she's this thirteen-year-old girl who we last saw holed up in this hidden uh, attic flat with a few other survivors. Yeah. The diary, before we even see any text, has got we see there's bloodstains all over it, or what looks like bloodstains all over it. So that gives you a warning, doesn't have it? Have you noticed that those have started to come in through the last few pages of the last one as well? Like yeah, there were really a couple clever. of just Yeah, really well done. And I mm. you know, I think worth worth all the money of printing these out as images rather than whatever else. Um because yeah. cause you you're just reading this text and then you kind of oh there's a blob and you read it a bit like and then you're like Oh, it's blood. Oh shit! Like, and it's mm. it's like physical foreshadowing, and the text at that point has nothing to do with like threat or peril. It's just we're hiding. Yeah. But because there's blood on the book, you're like, oh, this isn't gonna go well. <laughs> yeah, it starts off this 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 next part of the diary uh, with we find out two weeks have gone by nothing much has happened to be honest George and Alex uh, George is her friend Alex is his older brother uh, they're out and about and they've been gathering supplies she mentions that George is looking older 
um, and more careworn, which you would do if you're living day to day, trying to survive. Yeah. Uh, then um, we move on a few days, we move on a week, and the next entry, she's worried because George hasn't appeared for a few days. Mm. And then the next entry, a few days later, they do show up, and the reason why that uh, George and Alex didn't come by for a while was that, to quote George, someone was compromised in their group, and um, which meant they had to yeah. do some kind of desperate escape and hide out for a while. Yeah. Uh, Maddie also says um, that it's still noisy outside, and she says this very prescient line, oh, this this very important line, which is, uh, "People aren't sick; they're changing," which uh, which gives you, I thought, sort of sums up the situation yeah. at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but and it's an interesting take as well, isn't it? Because it starts to suggest this idea of this isn't so much a virus as it is an evolutionary event. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. You know, well, because you know, death is the major problem in evolution. You know, that evolution is designed to avoid increase mm. your chances of survival and reproduction. So, you know, if if there's a if there's a a thing that prevents people from dying, then it's necessarily going to have an evolutionary advantage, isn't it? Um. Possibly. I'm not sure how the reproduction side works with that. Though. Well, let's not get into it, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> Somewhat gruesome, flaw I think. In the evolutionary process here. Well, but people don't die, so they don't need to reproduce. Yeah, but surely they'll they'll stop functioning eventually. Well, you, uh, well, will to, they, though? Will they? If, yeah, if they get their head smashed in or something. So the natural get, predator. Get... No, I don't buy it. I think the numbers are all skewed. <laughs> the natural I predator. I, I'm just, I'm just absolutely desperate for there not to be a zombie sex scene. I just want to avoid <laughs> that if at all possible. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, June the second. Um, the next entry is this uh, bizarre um, horror scene where. Mr. Eyre, which is uh, one of her teachers from school, who actually, but I think one of the diaries before that we've read, she mentions this character as a, a teacher that all the kids have got, all the all the uh, teenage girls have got a crush on, yeah. and um, and he is over by the clock. She peeps out of the window and sees him over by the clock tower, shouting for help, surrounded by three girls who she uh, Maddie has referred to in the past as the Barbies. It's it's yeah. three three of her three girls who go to her school who are this sort of cliquey group and now they're zombies and they've surrounded this teacher who they used to have a crush on and are, are actually laughing and almost yeah. toying with him before oh. eventually eventually killing him yeah and and this is this is this is really scary in a in a way that you know the the horror film Child's Play is scary, you know, <laughs> where um, yeah, where, which is I think that's the one where a, a, a dummy comes back to life and starts killing people. It's yeah. this sort of gleeful, laughing, I'm having fun, um, th- I'm having the uh, gleeful fun idea. of a child whilst killing. Yeah, them. yeah, coupled yeah. with the horror of of bloody murder. This I thought was it's like the the last bit with G where there's knocking on the door. And, and and she starts she continues to have a sense of who she was in who she mm. is now that she's a zombie. And these three girls clearly have this same predatory codependence because they kind of exchange a look. You know, they're kind of they're hunting as a pack and mm. uh, and then they get into them. And I have to say at this point, I felt as well as everything else it was, it was a missed opportunity for Mr. Air not to go, 
Clever girls. <laughs> it's almost as if they didn't have one eye, o one eye open for the, the Jurassic Park reference. <laughs> Clever girls. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been perfect, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, that would have been brilliant. <laughs> um, okay, right. The next, the next entry, uh, a guy, one of the survivors called Joe gets sent out um, because it's got, it's become quieter outside, and um, the leader of this group um, decides that somebody, not himself, should go and take <laughs> a look to see how things are. And Joe, <laughs> sorry, I just, just give me a really vivid image of the conversation taking place. He's like, <laughs> yeah. listen. What's going on out there sounds proper fucked up. So somebody, not me, should go out and have a look. Because somebody, not me, really needs to bring back some information to everybody, including me. Just that yeah. idea of a guy really running through that whole thing. Not me, not me, not me. You should go. Yeah, I think this is... It sounds to me more like um, the... Uh, what's the name of this character? Mr... Is it Mr. Drake? Mr. Drake, he's, yeah. He's in with a soul patch. It's the guy with a soul patch. It sounds to me more like Mr. Drake just wants to get this guy, Joe, the younger guy, out of the way. I don't think he likes him particularly anyway. Oh, in the, in the last piece of work. Well, yeah, because in the last section, he, um, uh, they, they said that the only reason this guy called Joe is in the flat is because he worked with Mr. Drake and knew about the flat, so they had to let him in. Yeah. And I get a feeling that, Mr. that Joe's more popular than Mr. Drake, yeah. and M Mr. Drake... I wouldn't be surprised if over the last few weeks he's been working on him, trying to get him to leave anyway, yeah. and he's finally managed to do it. Because logically, there's no reason for him to go, even if they want to find out what's happening outside, they've got a connection with outside, with Alex and George, who are still coming by all the time. Yeah. So they can find out. Yeah. Um, so that there doesn't seem to be any logical reason for Joe to go. So the question uh, we have to ask is, how much of a douche is this guy, Mr. Drake, such yeah. that Joe presumably is not a stupid person and knows this and is still like do you know what anything is better than staying in here with another day of your bullshit absolutely yeah <laughs> i suppose it is a number of weeks stuck in in a very small flat with this this guy who's obviously a bit of a dickhead um a, a, a teenage girl um this dickhead's enormous wife who's obviously eating all the food and uh, that George's mum, who's a bit of a wreck because she's lost her husband and she's living day to day in in terrible fear of what's going to happen to her two children. So it's probably not the nicest place to be living. But yeah, you're right. It's got to be bad to think. Well, I'll take my chances with the zombies anyway. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised that I'd have thought Joe would have, if he wanted to do that, would have joined up with George and Alex next time they came round, not yeah. just wandered out on his own. <laughs> she's like, I'll go freelance. Yeah, but maybe he's had enough because he gives this sort of sad smile as he leaves, yeah. and maybe it is just him giving up. Yeah. And uh, and Maddie says, I, "I don't think we'll see him again." And that's how she ends the ends the piece and ends yeah. the ends the entry. The next one begins with a very simple um, but very powerful sentence: uh, yeah. three words, "Alex is dead." Uh, so that's that. Because uh, John... the end of that crush. Yeah, George returns pale and trembling and says that he saw Alex dragged away. He says the zombies are changing and now they, they're getting organised. Mm. And that's, that's what's sort of done for this group. Um, and as uh, the adults take uh, George's mum away, uh, obviously in her grief for losing her eldest son, um, George and Maddie have this moment where George tells her that he loves her. Mm. Um, 
you get this description even before you get to the point where that you find out his wrist is wrapped in gauze yeah. he's described as having clammy skin yeah. and uh sort of rimmed red rimmed eyes and looking terrible and we kind of know that he obviously has been infected as well yeah. and he has this kiss with maddie and not only just that you th- i thought when that happened that'll be how she gets infected yeah. but then he, he he accidentally scratches her hand as well as they pull away that's the end of it isn't it and you know that's it yeah and then the next entry is her turning into a zombie um, again creepy as oh yeah just like ruth's letter where she's narrating the experience of getting hungry and looking at everybody and yeah. creepier than anything else is you can imagine inside the flat this girl's just turned into a zombie and you're trapped in this this secret and sealed place with an individual who's just turned into a zombie yeah. and it's a 13 yeah. year old girl trying to eat you all yeah <laughs> again again nauseatingly frightening isn't it yeah yeah so that so that that ends uh, three three chapters effectively or three separate um appearances of maddie's diary mm-hmm. um which ends on a rather sad note, which we we all kind of expected, I think. But yeah, yeah. Uh, there's the the next bit is a, the final um, BMC message. It's uh, it's an, obviously a screenshot of an attempt to access the BMC website, and it says the link is capital letters dead. Dead. I thought that yeah. was a little bit campy for this, really. Like, you, it, yeah, you don't have to yeah. bring it out like that, do you? <laughs> it was. I thought it was okay. Um, and I thought it was quite funny how it's making the point that even even things like websites are dying um, and becoming yeah. undead. That's I suppose that that that, <laughs> that link, that, yeah, that broken link is effectively an undead website now, isn't it? That does raise the interesting notion, though, doesn't it, of like an undead internet, like yeah. bits hanging off your face book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Instead of Twitter, it's just sort of groan moan <laughs> <laughs> i'm just gonna send this out on groan <laughs> it's I'll, I'll be honest with you the material is a bit samey <laughs> <laughs> yeah at putrid skin said hashtag <laughs> <laughs> at, oh god he's got an arm off said <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag brains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Always trending every day. There's no, there's no subtle interplay of memes and ideas and stories flowing forth. It's always brains. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. Okay, um, the next bit, we we have a radio address from a guy who's half a step from batshit crazy as it is <laughs> before he even becomes a zombie. Oh, uh, it's uh, an Amer- an American evangelical. Uh, can we, I mean, it, I, I, he's so he's so he's so crazy that even calling him a crazy evangelical preacher feels like doing a disservice to crazy evangelical preachers <laughs> or to um, evangelical preachers in general. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, but uh, oh, but even man, if you, even bit. if you place him in the category of of the really far of the really ones, Westboro Baptist Church mentalist, not really a Christian anymore stuff. Yeah, he's um, even beyond that. Yeah, which is which is quite a trick. You would have thought that this particular genre of public speech was beyond parody, but yeah. apparently not. I actually, I, I despised this bit of the book, and I despised it because I thought it was incredibly lazy and bigoted, and it's difficult to be more bigoted than a bunch of bigots. Reading this bit, I thought this was just extremely lazy, bigoted British anti-Americanism. 
and there are mm. jokes to be made about that. But if I was an American reading that, I'd be f- infuriated, and I would I would think that, as I say, almost living in a culture which is itself beyond parody, somebody has managed to make a parody which is excessive. And so I thought, like whoever whoever decided to sit down and write, the, I mean, you know, the Great England, like, you know, is how he how he refers to the country at one point. And he mm. talks about the devil crawling out the woodwork and Winston Churchill smoked cigars to cover up the smell of sulfur and all of this bollocks. And when yeah. you attach that to a particular religious worldview, I think I, th- I think you've got a responsibility to, to represent it more more fairly than that. I mean, I, I didn't feel as strongly about it. I, I thought it was I thought it was quite I thought it was quite funny. Um but yeah, I did think it went. It, it did go a little bit far. But I didn't see how this was any worse than the the satire of a, a, a bunch of royalists trying to bring Princess Diana back to life. Let, let's move on for now and uh, and go into. This is a, a transcript of a, a text conversation, um, which has been. It's between uh, a a bloke who's on the ground in the middle of the zombie apocalypse in London and a, and a girl who is just outside in a safe zone and he's trying to get to her and it's their text conversation of his journey effectively and the texts have been sent the transcript has been sent to America from the emergency assembly building in Wales and this is where we found out in the last chapter but we didn't mention um, the home secretary is the last surviving member of the government and she um, is 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 holed up in in Cardiff, and that is where the government is operating from now. Mm. And they send this they send this transcript from there to America yeah. um, to give you know for for, for important information. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is so. This is Mike, a guy called Mike, trying to make his way to what effectively is a safe zone where Jane's uh, waiting for him, who is his ex girlfriend, and this. The, the the texts move between there's um some kind of uh some texts referring to the past relationship normally referring to what's going on in the bedroom um which is kind of like a, a, a bit fl- a bit <laughs> a bit flirty um yeah. uh, and uh, and also uh for you you know th- th- there's there's some typical ex-boyfriend and girlfriend stuff and yeah. then there's the zombie apocalypse and the it's quite interesting jane is obviously still quite pissed off with mike about how the relationship ended but she also yeah. does still care about him and is worried about him yeah, yeah. um so so it, it's it's quite fun watching mike slowly make his way towards her and um du- during this um during his journey he comes across um a, a unit like an army sergeant and his soldiers who who the sergeant shouts something about a cure and then promptly crashes the car and dies and mike finds this what looks like a cure it's a series of letters and numbers and it turns out it's a coordinate for what what becomes a a nuclear device exploding over london yeah that's that was a reverse wasn't it i love the idea of the sergeant driving along past somebody going i've got a cure (laughs) 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 massive explosion oh have you (laughs) <laughs> that's the thing yeah. you think about yelling just before you die <laughs> yeah that is the uh that that is it's along the same lines of being there just a few months from retirement isn't it <laughs> could have shouted that right before he crashed um yeah so so mike makes it to the bridge um well to, to the river uh but it's absolutely full of zombies and one of his final texts is i'm, I'm going to try and i'm making a break for it mm. and then a short while later 
he texts again and they're very short. I think it's just Jane and then yes. And yeah. you think uh, in the context of what we've seen from someone like Giselle before, yeah. um, you kind of know where this is going. Yeah. And it ends with him. He Basically, Mike does arrive eventually, but he, yeah. he doesn't arrive as Mike. And, um, and we're left with Jane's mum just frantically texting her yeah. to try and find out what's happened to her. Well, and, and um, you've got the last text from Mike is really creepy. It's just, you look tasty. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's found his way to this house, this little suburban yeah. place, and he's, he's presumably about to break through the door. Um, yeah. Creepy, but it has to be said, the, the idea of even a zombie being so in his phone <laughs> that he's not really in the moment is quite pleasing. <laughs> just like he's shambling towards the house, and he stops, and he's like, click, 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 now, brain... <laughs> Just like <laughs> yeah. you're even putting off your own homicidal like lust for human flesh in order to text yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah, the, the the thing that I thought was particularly frightening and and um, made me shudder a bit about this as well was that final "you look tasty" text in the um, in the context of the stuff before um, the quite graphic flirting and um, about you know what they used to do in bed together. Um, when you put it in that context as well, it makes it even more disturbing. Uh, that's the last thing he sends before he goes into attacker. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because yeah, it's the kind of troubling. it's the kind of thing you, you could send um, in a different context um, right before you meet up with someone if you've been flirting beforehand. If you know what I mean. Yeah. It's that was particularly creepy. Okay, yeah, l yeah. let's move on. Very, um, very, very creepy. There's a, there's a there's a five news broadcast out of Cleveland, uh, and that is talking about how the British government have detonated a nuclear device over London. Um, so, boom. Yeah. Effectively. Yeah. Um, and this this shows just how desperate the government have got, and how unlikely the prospect of a cure is now, or the prospect yeah. of this turning out well. If you're detonating nuclear devices over your own capital city, you know yeah. your back is well and truly against the wall. Yeah, I, although I, I really liked the, is it, I think it's a bit later on where somebody comments, you do get that they're already dead, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's this idea of we're going to kill everybody in order to kill the people who have already been killed. Mm. Shit. Can we yeah. turn the plane around? Is that something <laughs> we can do? <laughs> In the defense of the uh, the pro-nuclear bomb people, it is quite hard to eat somebody when you've been vaporized. Well, but is it though? Can you imagine reanimated <laughs> ashes, like little, just just like atomized people, little like zombie atoms? Terrifying. You breathe in, and you've breathed in a million of them. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, dangerous. Yeah. Easy way, what easy way to get infected. Breathe it in. Yeah. <laughs> Um, right, let's go to the final bit. This is a large chapter, but unfortunately we're going to have to severely condense this just for time reasons. Yeah. Um, but it's it's the helicopter pilot yeah. called uh, Linda Russo. Yeah. She's uh, an Australian helicopter pilot. The first part of this is she talks about how she was called out onto a mission um, to, um, to aid a, a vessel that was floating just off the coast. Turns out it was a vessel populated by zombies yeah. and the Australian Navy just sink it to deal yeah. with the issue and then the zombies wash up on the shore and all hell breaks loose in and Australia as it turns effectively. Out, they're still alive because they're zombies. Mm. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, so Although I suppose next... there's a good chance they were going to get eaten by fish on the way in, isn't there? You know. Possibly, yeah. yeah Great yeah. white sharks. Great white shark, bite him in half. Yeah. It's come to a pretty pass, isn't it, when you're relying on Jaws? <laughs> Could you imagine if Jaws was a zombie shark? <gasps> oh no! Oh Matt! Oh, I'm never going to get back in the water. <laughs> would it? Would it make? Actually, thinking about it, would it make any difference to how dangerous it was? Probably move in a more shambling As... way rather than that kind yeah. of direct, you know, slicing through the water, which is more sort of like, you know. So in effect, it's less dangerous. So a zombie That's shark, true. Actually, zombie shark is exactly. less dangerous than a shark. <laughs> Yeah, so the main part of this is isn't isn't the uh, the mission to destroy the boat. It's the subsequent mission that they, she does with a character called Doctor Kushiwaha and uh, a guy called Barry Chandrish, and they um, they go to a remote town. I think it's called Gulagambone or something like that. Sounds it's a remote Australian town thing. in Australia, and it's been overrun by the undead. Yeah, and it's their it's their it's her account of their attempts to escape from it once they find out that that everybody's dead yeah. um they 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 explore the town they find a hospital yeah. um, they come across a big group of zombies the yeah. doctor actually wants to help them but luckily gets dragged away um and they all the the, the team try to escape yeah um the, the doctor is eventually killed because he's bitten on the arm in sort of a zombie ambush yeah. which is it's always the way that Often people, it's often the way that people go. This it's just a, a lapse of concentration, or just not seeing something move out of the corner of your eye, and and it's you're bitten, and, then and, and it's done. It's quite something I liked about this was the um, how it destroys a few zombies. It takes a few sort of zombie film tropes and destroys it. So in the hospital, the the pilot talks about how in those zombie flicks, people start you know turning to heroes and start decapitating zombies in with using bad puns and he said that just wasn't what happened in reality yeah. and also there's a zombie near a car which has been which has turned over yeah. and they see some like a petrol trail so they yeah. set it on fire expecting the car to explode like it does in films and that yeah. doesn't happen either so it's yeah, just a, yeah. there's these little touches of uh, yeah. sort of realism i thought it, that was excellent good. i really did yeah eventually yeah uh, doc the doctor gets bitten and he's left behind and uh, the the remaining t the, the remaining two survivors, that the pilot basically gets out of a very difficult situation, but faints or collapses, and she comes round and she's been rescued by this guy called Al Bachmeyer or Backmeyer. Yeah. Um, and she's in this sort of idyllic countryside area. There's a barbecue on the go, and she's thinking, fantastic. Yeah. She has what she thinks are the best kangaroo steak she's ever eaten. <laughs> <laughs> And they're not kangaroo steaks, Dave. Oh, what are they, Matt, by any chance? Are they zombies? Zombie steak. Zombie quarter pounder, she's had. Zombie quarter pounders. Now, <laughs> yeah. would they not be a little bit sort of... I mean, because this is human flesh, right? Which is already dead. Yeah. So, yeah. And has been wandering around in Australia, mind you. Would it not be a little bit past its best? Instead of being like, oh, this is the best meat I've ever eaten, would it be... Uh, why is there uh... a sort of green hole in this one? It depends how quickly you get it, I suppose. If if Al's, um, Al's find a fresh place, one, you? <laughs> yeah, if Al's find a fresh one, got some of the choice cuts <laughs> and uh, stuck them on the barbecue. Yeah. Um, yeah, but basically she she's eaten she's eaten zombie, yeah. and um, and but the the effect that that has is um, the reason that Al has has started doing that in in a fit of anger when um, when he's come when the zombies first attacked, he killed the zombie, kept beating its head. 
and then chewed its face off as well, mm. um, which is the, the actions of an unhinged madman. Um, but he's found out after eating zombie flesh that the zombies leave you alone. And this happens to uh, to the pilot Russo as well, because she's obviously horrified and she leaves. Mm. And then she ends up trapped in the plane because um, basically the doctor comes back, doesn't he? Um, the doctor, the, the, the undead doctor gets on the plane as well and causes the crash. Chandresh also dies in the in the crash. And then he he comes back as a zombie and climbs into the plane as the pilot is trapped and he's climbing towards her. The pilot's legs are trapped and she can't get out. And you think this is going to be a horrible, gory death. But he doesn't attack her. He he helps her, he releases her um, from the the situation. So he he sort of, he he gets her legs out of it and and helps her escape. And then he shambles off. And she realizes that she's hungry, but not for sort of normal food she wants just zombie zombies. steaks <laughs> yeah basically basically one, one taste of zombie steaks and you, you don't want to go back to anything else apparently <laughs> so th- so this this is a big move in the story in the sort of yeah. in the plot of the story isn't it yeah. and she i don't know what she is she's not a zombie she's still a human but she, um, but she has this taste for one thing so does that not make her a zombie she's like a zombie to the zombies yeah um but but the, but the zombies have uh, won't attack her, which yeah. seems weird because she wants to attack them. Yeah. Um, so it seems like there's a, a bit of a, a gap or a hole in yeah. the sort of evolutionary makeup of these zombies, yeah. where they they, they they are sort of hardwired not to attack a predator. Oh yeah. So uh, so at this point, I'm confused because we've got we've got a zombie king storyline going on. We've got uh we've we've got the potential return of the people's princess in zombie form. We've got are the zombies changing? Are they working in packs? Mm. We and and now we've got what happens if a human eats a zombie? Yeah, <laughs> not, not something that I was expecting to be honest. Yeah, um, well, I I thought I thought this was brilliant because it's um there's the, the zomb- zombies are um a corruption of 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 sort of the, a human being isn't yeah, it it's yeah. human being gone wrong yeah and and then you can take you can look at the zombie as in sort of a next step of evolution because mm. it's um the the way the zombies are acting um killing people just to turn them into more to create more zombies yeah yeah is 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 say like evolutionary a step forward maybe yeah but um because it's corrupted it, even the evolutionary side is corrupted insofar as they've almost built in into their own mechanism yeah. a way something that doesn't work that they are hardwired not to attack something which yeah. is going to attack them yeah. so every, everything about it is like corruption on corruption and i thought that was a really interesting way to look yeah, at no, it no you're right and so i'm definitely still in at this point i'm i'm i'm, I'm i still have faith that this is going to be called brought together in a way which was um which is is kind of interesting and new and exciting and creepy and everything that a good piece of zombie fiction should be yeah Okay, well, the next the next time it's uh, it's going to be quite it's quite easy to say where to read up to next. If you're reading along with us, read to the end of the book because the the next cast will be the final zombie apocalypse podcast mm. we do. Yeah. Um, and that that wraps it up for this week. Apart from um, 
it's about time for uh, for your reasons. Five reasons why a zombie apocalypse could actually happen. We Five reasons why a zombie apocalypse could actually happen. So this is um, this is from Crack.com, which is a fantastic source of uh, really important reportage like this. Sorry, reportage like this. Mm. Um, so this is the article, Five Scientific Reasons Why the Zombie Apocalypse Could Actually Happen, uh, by T.E. Sloth and David Wong from Crack.com. Number two mm. on the list is Neurogenesis. And quite, quite creepily, Matt, this one starts with, as seen in laboratories around the world. So this is basically, um, uh, this, this comes from stem cell research, this idea that there are cells in the body which can be used to generate any part of the body which has been damaged or, you know, taken out by, let us say, a shotgun. And, and indeed, it is, it is possible, people are working on this, dead brain tissue can be regrown, right? Uh-oh. Yeah, no kidding, right? Okay, so science, it says, can pretty much save you from anything but brain death, right? So mm. they swap out organs and that. When the brain turns to mush, you're gone. Mm. Um, no. They're already able to regrow the brains of comatose head trauma patients until they wake up and walk around again. Um, but the, the problem is, uh, also brilliantly, this is what's called reanimation research. The problem is, when you do this... At the moment, the, the, the research has only gone to the point where you kind of do it and people get brain tissue back, but then the brain mm. tissue dies from the outside in, right? right. Um, so this isn't really kind of apparently a viable long-term solution. And the outside is the bit that that evolved last and holds all your kind of higher order thoughts and, um, you know, the bit, the stuff that makes you human. Um, and, and it dies off until all you've got left at the back is the brain stem. Use the technique to regrow the brainstem, and now what you have is a mindless body shambling around with no thoughts and no personality, nothing but a collection of base instincts and impulses. Ooh. Yeah, I see where this is going. There's That's... not a big jump here to just put an impulse in there. Yeah. Can you think of an impulse that could be a problem? Oh, I yeah. don't know. What sort of things are people likely to do? It's happening already. The, the article ends, quite troublingly, with how long until somebody tries this? We're betting somebody in the world, maybe North Korea, will have a working zombie by Christmas. <laughs> and this was written in 2007, so presumably by this point, North Korea has not only a zombie army, but a zombie air force <laughs> as well. <laughs> I think that um, in, uh, it might be World War Z or World War Z, yeah. um, th there is a, well, a storyline where some country, it might be North Korea, has, um, has tried to develop... Um, some zombies to use in, really? <laughs> in a war, on a war footing. Yeah, Brilliant. I think they, I think they, I think they try to. I don't know who it. I can't remember which country it is, but they they try to parachute zombies into um, military areas so that they get like a, a plane with like four zombies with parachutes yeah. and sort of fly over a military an enemy military installation and shove the zombies out. So they'll they'll land so us like zombie eat, bombs. Eating people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well. Once again, we've come to the end of the cast. Alas, and, uh, alas. And it's it, it's funny. We've got. I, I can't believe we're, we're coming to the end of the book as well, Zombie Apocalypse. But yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, until until next time, Dave. Until um, next time, Matt. Stay safe. Stay <laughs> stay zombie free. I'm still under the bed with a shotgun. That's all I am. I've been, <laughs> I've been here for months. It's it's, it's awful. <laughs> what are you eating? Dirt, you don't want to know. Zombie steaks. Zombie steaks. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And uh, just before we go, um, 
if you've got any comments to make on Zombie Apocalypse, any survival tips for uh, for the zombie aware, um, or any comments to make on the the actions of some of the characters involved, um, just uh, send them into us at shark, sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com, or you can get us on Twitter, and we are at sharkliveroil. Thanks very much for listening. Never indeed. Indeed. That was amazing. That's like a that's like a camp zombie. Yeah. <laughs> the zombie partridge. Eat my face. <laughs>